Hello and welcome to Embassy City Church Podcast. This is a place where all people can experience the love of God through the Word of God. Our prayer is that you will be inspired and transformed. Thank you for joining us today. Um, I want to do two things before we get to the scripture, okay? First of all, um, I want to give you a quick bit of instruction as to um, a way to maybe help you read and understand the Bible more. How many would like to be able to get more out of the Bible? Okay, so I, I want to, because I want to um, explain how I approach the scriptures, how I look at them, because I think if, if we do that today and you also do it from now on when you go home, it'll help you. Because what most people do and what I did for a long time, there's a lot of people in the Bible. Have you noticed that? A lot of them have names, some of them don't, some of them we know a lot about, some of them we don't know much about at all, they're just called by their issue, and I think it's rude, but it's okay, it's not my book. So there's a lot of people in the, in the scriptures, and so what we tend to do is we get into a story about some people, some different characters, and we go, okay, this is my character, I'm watching this person, this is David, I wanna see what David does so I can learn from David, or we look at Abraham, I wanna look from Abraham, or, or the disciples, let me be like disciples, and we study them, and we're looking so closely at them that we forget this. You can't read the Bible like another book, okay? When you meet characters in the story and you're, and you're reading about them and studying them, you need to know this, that every single story in the scripture, if it's, it looks like it's about a character, it's never really about that character. That the main character of every story is always God. See, the, the Bible is not a self-help book. It is a biography. It is literally the story of God. And every person, every narrative, every parable, every single thing you read literally exists only for one thing, not to help you get to know these characters, but to help you know the character of God. So you're not there just to watch them to learn from them. You're there to watch how God interacts with them. Because I want to look and see there's some people in the scripture that God blesses, some people God doesn't. There's some people God walks closely with, some people God doesn't. I'm not watching to learn about them. I'm watching to see how God interacts with these characters so that I can get to know better the character of God. This book is to help you get to know God better and to see who God is. When you're dating, um, single people, raise your hands. This is what you do it at 11 o'clock. Hey, okay, take note. No, I'm just kidding. So... So when you date someone, right, you watch them real close, like, because you want to see how you treat me. Do you open my door? I mean, you do on my first date, but do you do, like, on the 20th date? You watch that. But if you really want to know about the person you're dating, stop watching how they treat you and start watching how they treat other people. Watch how they interact with um, the guy who's parking their car that they think is beneath them. Watch how they interact with the person who is making their coffee. Do they actually talk to them and treat them like a human being? Watch how they treat the person who messes up their whole order. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. Watch how they treat their mom. Watch how they interact with strangers, with people who are big time and people who are small time. Watch how they interact with them, and you're going to get to know a lot more about the character of that person. Am I right? Same thing when you read the scriptures. If you want to get to know God more, watch how he interacts with people in the scriptures and you will learn more because if he had that, he's a God of patterns and principles. So if that's how he got down back then, that's how he gets down right now. If I watch how he interacts with them, I'm learning what does God bless? What makes him smile? What does he like? What is he attracted to? I'm studying the scriptures as characters, and I'm going to learn from them, but I'm really le- there to learn about God. Okay, so that's number one. Today, we're going to talk about some people, but I want us to approach it this way. I'm not really there to learn 
about them as much as I am to watch them and see what I can learn about God by how God interacts with them. Number two, I want to just give you a little bit of historical context um, for what we're going to do because I don't want us to just barge on the scene and not really understand because here's the problem. We're going to read from the book of Luke. Luke is a doctor, okay? Luke is writing what he thinks is what is just a historical document. He is strictly writing this to be a historical document so that when one person writes a book saying Jesus did this, this, and this, this is just facts to back up the historical documents that are being written, okay? So there is no hype and there's no drama. He's not like a creative writer. And so you can miss so much if you don't understand the full context. You've probably missed a lot of the depth of the story, but I wanna make sure that you get all the meat off this bone today. So I want to give you a small little historical context, okay? So we're gonna meet a couple characters in a moment. And, um, and, and there is a man and woman who have been in need of a miracle for decades, okay? So if you understand the place in history, you're gonna be able to grasp a lot more of the depth of this. When we open the Bible up, this is, I know you understand this, there is a New Testament and there's an Old Testament. Old Testament comes first, New Testament. And in between, there's just like a page of paper, right? Like a sheet of paper, like dividing, old, new, okay? But between the Old Testament and the New Testament is not just a page, it is actually 400 years. 400 years. Also, the Bible is not necessarily written in chronological order. So the last thing that happens before that 400 years is the book of Malachi, right? But the first thing to happen after those 400 years is Luke chapter 1. We're going to read Luke chapter 1 today. This is going to be the very first sighting of God in 400 years. This is going to be the first thing that happens since those 400 years. So during these 400 years, all the Jewish people have been promised that a Messiah one day is going to come. So, but it has been 400 years and he ain't showed up. So they still say they believe it. I don't know whether they all do, but um, they follow the law of God that was given, but they're waiting. They're in a season of waiting and waiting and waiting. So they're waiting for Messiah. All they know is that he is going to be born of one of them, a Jewish woman, a natural woman, is going to give birth to Messiah at some point. They tell their kids this, their kids tell their kids this, and so on and forth for 400 years, but it still not happened, okay? So in the Old Testament, randomly you see some, there, it's, it's rare, but, you, but there are miracles and there are some um, visitations of God from angels. There's some prophetic words and promises. None of this is really active. You, only see, you mostly see heavy amounts of miracles and stuff in the New Testament, but there are some in the Old Testament. The people now, they don't have the kind of access to we do to God, right? So the Bible, the scripture says, come boldly to the throne of grace. So when we pray, we come boldly right to God and talk to him ourselves because that, that scripture is there because it wasn't always that way. You could not just go and pray to God directly. There was a priest that had to go offer your prayers for you. And that priest had to fear for his life when he went into that holy place um, because if he did anything wrong, he might get struck dead, okay? So they didn't have that kind of access. So for 400 years, um, it is called the 400 years of silence because for 400 years, God does not speak to them in any way. There's no voice of God. There's no prophetic movement. There is no activity of God. There are no angelic visitations for the last written one that we see is 500 years before this when the three Hebrew boys are in the fiery furnace 
and a fourth man comes in. It's been 500 years since anything like that has happened since God has appeared. It has been probably 800 years since any miracle. The last miracles that were taking place were in the days of Elisha and Elijah. So 800 years since they've been, since miracles, 500 years since any angel, 400 years since any voice or word of God. They're all, all they have is a, a promise for 400 years that a, that, a, that a, excuse me, a Messiah would come through a natural woman. In fact, when you go home, I want you to Google Advent if you have not researched it. And in the next few weeks, you should, you should look into that and study it. When we meet our characters, this is the first thing that's happened since 400 years since God spoke, 500 years since an angel, 800 years since miracle. They've only read of people experiencing miracles. They've never experienced this kind of activity or connection with God at all, and they don't know when to expect to hear from God. I mean, it's been 400 years. When is he gonna talk? I don't know, could be another 400. And then we open up Luke chapter one, and we watch this go down. Luke chapter one, we meet our two characters, which remember are not the main characters, but they are characters. Chapter one, verse five to seven says this, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Okay, so here's the introduction scripture gives us. What we know is he's a priest, and she is actually the daughter of a priest, so they both have like a church background, like they, they've they're both very well-versed in the things of God, like the, the law of God, and they know it, and, and this has been their lifestyle, okay? The Bible also tells us, it wants us to know this fact that they are both very old, okay? Also rude, but he wants us to know that they are very old. The other thing we know about them is it says that they were very righteous in the sight of God, that they were upright in all their ways. I mean, when I say righteous, the easiest definition of righteous is doing right by God, okay? So they didn't just do what seemed right unto man. They followed everything they knew, everything they knew to be the law of God or the desire of God. They followed it all to the full. This is the highest, one of the highest compliments you see in all of scripture, okay? We also know this about them. They were barren and unable to, unable to have kids, and because they were old, it was too late to even try. Okay, so here's the first thing I, I see about God, right? So we have this equation in our head um, that if I'm righteous, I'm blessed. But they were righteous, but they were barren. Okay, they did everything right by God, but it seemed like he didn't do right by them. All right, so here's the first thing that we learn about God from watching him interact with them is that just because you please God doesn't mean he's always gonna please you. That just because you live your life to please God doesn't mean he's living his whole life to please you or that he'll always give you what you please. Just because you're doing things the right way doesn't always mean you're going to get the results you want. But stay tuned and watch how it's unfold, okay? So it says this, they're barren. Now, I understand a little bit as a woman how heavy that is. I think when you're a woman and you hear the word barren, your heart just kind of like, oh, things is heavy because if you haven't experienced it, you, you, you understand how devastating it is because as a woman, you're literally wired with 
parts of your body that literally exist for one thing that you're not able to do. And it is such a painful thing. I remember um, the specialist sitting across the table from my, myself and my husband and telling us there's nothing he could do that we would not be able to bear children. And all we would be able, the only thing we could have done was meet each other sooner. And um, then my husband stood up and said, oh, but God can. And um, within weeks, we naturally conceived. And then we naturally conceived again. We have two miracle babies. But I do remember the weight of what it felt like to be barren. But <laughs> praise God. I, I remember the weight and how overwhelming it is, but you need to understand that what we feel today being barren does not even touch what they felt back then. Here's why. So it's a, it's a much greater implication. Remember I said what they knew was that a Messiah would come and he would be born of a Jewish woman? Well, as a Jewish woman, it was thought of amongst all your peers that the more children you had, the more blessed you were because God was giving you more opportunities to possibly be the one through which Jesus would be born. And if you were barren, you were considered to be cursed by God, that he wanted to make sure you didn't even have a chance in this whole like Jesus lottery, you know, like that, no, uh, just not her, maybe another woman, not her. So there was such a stigma attached to it. If you could not bear children, they thought you were being judged for secret sin. God wanted to make for sure, for sure that Jesus didn't come through your body and everywhere you looked at, that's what was thought of you. And, and so there was this heavy implication. It was one of the worst things. It was considered the worst calamity is to be barren. So here they are, right by God, barren, talked about, ostracized, judged, and let's watch their lifestyle. Verse 8 says this, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by law according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and disobedient, disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, if we can pause here in the story, okay? There are several things I just read that really jump out at me. It says this about Zechariah, it says this, while on duty serving the priest. And this is what I love because we already know that he had lived this great life and was still barren and didn't have what he asked or wanted from God. But it says this while on duty. And that means to me, I like this because even though God is not giving him what he wants God to give him, he has stayed on duty. He has stayed showing up. He is still in God's house. He's still serving God's people. He's still offering prayers on behalf of other people, even though it seems like God has not answered his prayer. He didn't stop living to please God just because God didn't seem to be living to please him. He stayed on duty. I want to encourage you today, stay 
on duty. Don't let the way you live your life be determined by the way somebody else does. In other words, don't let the way somebody else loves determine the way you love. You make up your mind. This is the kind of agape love I'm going to show. You can talk about me. You can use me. But when you need me, knock on my door. Because just because you love me that way doesn't mean I'm loving you that way. I'm going to stay on duty. Stay serving in the house of God. Stay serving God's people. Stay connected in community. Stay on duty no matter what it looks like. Look at somebody and say, I'm on duty. Okay, this is who I am. So while on duty, he made a decision to still keep showing up. God doesn't owe me anything. That's what, that's what that says. I've asked God for things, but I don't believe that he owes me that, that. And then I can go like, okay, you know what? You didn't give me that, so bye. No, I'm going to stay on duty. And it says, while on duty, because he showed up, he was chosen by lot to burn incense. Okay, Dr. Luke is not helping us with the weight of this because he's just just passing stuff like just he's just stating facts but let me tell you about the office of burning incense he's chosen by lot it's almost like drawing straws if you've ever done that kind of like throwing dice to offer incense and you're like okay cool keep reading no you don't want me to keep reading because you don't know this um the office of burning incense was this it was considered the, one of the highest honors you could ever get as a priest because this was the closest you could ever get to God. God wasn't speaking. People couldn't approach him. And so if you burn incense, you got to go not quite all the way to the most holy place, but you got to go into the holy place. It was the most coveted of all the priestly duties. You might, if you were lucky, get this chance once in your lifetime. And if you did, you would never get it again. As a priest, you lived your whole life praying and hoping that you might get this chance to get picked by lot, to go into the most holy place, that you might be able to get that close to God. And you knew if that ever happened, that was going to be as close to God as you ever get. You'd never get to go back there. This was your one shot. This was going to be the day of your life. If you wanted to even participate in the drawing of lots, you had to like get up at 3 a.m., dip yourself in some weird pool, put on some weird garment that didn't have any like seams. I don't even know how you would get in it, but there's all these things that you had to do just to show up and be chosen. But the chance of you being chosen was so small. But on this day, he while he was on duty, he shows up and by lot, he is chosen to, to offer incense. The, Luke, Luke, Luke misses it by not letting us know this, but this moment is monumental. This faithful old priest would have probably been in tears, overwhelmed when they called his name after all these years, finally getting the privilege to go this close to God. Here's, here's what's funny. It says by lot. It was kind of like throwing dice. But it would seem that this is just happening by chance, but I want you to know this. In the life of a believer, nothing happens by chance. In fact, in all of the Hebrew language, they don't have a word for coincidence because there is no coincidence when you are God's child. So it looks like this is a coincidence by the drawing of lots, but watch what scripture says about the casting of lots. In Proverbs 16:33, I'm gonna read it in three different versions. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. A version says it like this. We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. <laughs> Last version this. The lot is cast into the lap, but the decision is holy of the Lord. Even the events that seem accidental are really ordered 
by him. Can we all agree that this was not a coincidence? This is a divine setup. So Zechariah has this great honor that he has been chosen. And so he's like, he's overwhelmed right now. I can't believe I've waited for this day, but I got so old, I thought maybe it would not happen. But here it is right in front of me. He's, he's overwhelmed at the sense that he's going to actually get to go into this holy place that God has chosen him. Even though he hasn't answered all my prayers, he's chosen me and I'm going to get this privilege and this whole thing happens around him, right? Like his assistant priests have to like go in and prostrate themselves before the altar and they, there's all these things, these rituals, right? They, they have to grab coals off the fire and do all these things and then they, as they're exiting, they have to bow low as they exit slowly and then they put those coals on his little spoon or something and now here he is. It's only him that gets to go into the holy place. Only him, this one moment, this one man and he has, he has dreamed of this moment and he gets to step in because this is as close as anyone ever gets to God and he chose me and so he walks in and it's quiet because there's no one else in there and it's dark and he's trying to fear the Lord and make sure he does everything exactly right so he doesn't get struck dead and all of the sudden an angel appears. Luke doesn't do this justice because do you remember we said how long it has been 500 years since anyone has seen any kind of angel or visitation. So he's standing there already trembling and ah, all of a sudden an angel shows up in there and he's rightfully so, it says he's terrified. He's scared out of his mind. Are you here to judge me? Because this is not the day. This finally happened. What's going on? And he's scared to death because it has been 500 years since any angel or divine visitation. And so here he is all these years later after serving God faithfully. And number one, it was already the best day of his life because he stayed on duty, he got chosen by law, and now he gets the opportunity to just get that close to God. But it was about to get better because once he gets, are you kidding me? Not only do I get this opportunity, but I get to be the first person in 500 years that sees an angel after serving God faithfully through disappointment, through hopelessness, through stigma, through unanswered prayer, when his his pleasing God didn't get him what he pleased. He stayed on duty. And now today, the hope that he has put in all these ancient prophecies for 400 years, now he is chosen to go and actually have this experience. Here's the first angel in 500 years. This day couldn't get any better, right? Up wrong. Because not only are you going to see an angel, but as soon as that angel opens up his mouth, you discover that after 400 years of silence, the first words God speaks are going to be to you. The voice of God after 400 years of silence are going to happen to one moment to one man without any other audience. You are going to get to be the first ears that hear the voice of God after the silence and it couldn't get any better or can it get any better because not only are you going to get chosen by lot and not only are you going to see the first angel at 400 years and not only are you going to see the, or have the first word from God in 400 and the first angel in 500 years but now that angel starts to speak and give the first confirmation that has anyone has received that yes, the, the idea of a Messiah coming is true. I'm here to confirm the word that a Messiah is still coming. You've waited for 400 years and I'm here to confirm you haven't waited in vain. A Messiah is coming and it couldn't get any better except it does because he says, 
I'm not done. I'm here to tell you that remember how you prayed for your wife? What does my wife have to do with anything right now? Well, remember how you prayed that God would open her womb. Well, I want you to know that your prayer has been heard and you're going to have a miracle baby. This day couldn't get any better, but it does. So he says, not only are you going to have the first voice of God, first angel of God, first confirmation of a Messiah, and the first miracle in 800 years since the day of Elisha and Elijah of a miracle birth but guess what not only are you going to give birth but he's not going to be an ordinary boy you are going to be part of the plan of the messiah because your son will be named john and he will prepare the way of the lord you are not just having a miracle you are having a miracle attached to the messiah He's like, Zachariah, they have talked bad about you for decades, and I'm going to give them something to talk about. Because not only are you going to have a son, but through that son, he will prepare the way for the Messiah that they have only read about for their whole lives. After 400 years of silence, after the silence comes the voice, and the voice changes everything, and it all happens in one moment. One moment to one man who just what? He stayed on duty. He continued to live his life to please God, even when God didn't just give him what he pleased. So now that 400 years of silence are over and he gets to hear the first voice, we got to go, well, what's he, how is he going to respond? He's going to be hype, right? He's going to be like, yeah, I knew it, right? Let's see, verse 18, Zechariah. Ask the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. And my, and my wife, you know, I won't say, oh, she's well along in years. And the angel said to him, excuse me? Not really, but pretty much. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. After all this silence, now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he's staying in there so long. And when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. You gotta love that because he still finishes his work day. After all, he's like, what? Okay, it's not five, okay. <laughs> After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said, and these days he has shown his favor and had taken away my disgrace from amongst the people. So Zechariah, this great man, right? This is why you can't look at the scriptures to learn really from the people. You've got to learn as much as you learn from God because we're watching how God interacts with both their weaknesses and their strengths, their failures and their, and their you know, successes. So in this moment, God is so bothered by his response that the first words that come out of Zechariah's mouth, he's like, oh, uh-uh, you're not going to say nothing like that. And he hits the mute button on him. No, 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 you're not going to just... I come here, do all this, say all this, and you say, 
That's what you're going to say? No, that's not happening. So he hits the mute button, takes away his microphone from, and says, you know, not just for a few minutes, like in my presence, but like for nine months, nine, ten months, you're not going to say a word. You're not going to be able to speak. You, so now he's experienced a miracle, the first miracle in 800 years, and he can't talk about it. First voice of God, first angel of God, he can't tell nobody. And now he's expecting a miracle baby with his old wife, and he can't talk to her about it. How do you plan for a baby? It seems extreme. I'm like, God, I know you're bothered, but calm down. Like, he had a hard day. I feel like a little bit, and then, and then you realize, I remember the verses, it says this. One verse says, without holiness, no man can see God, right? We know he was a holy man, right? But then there's another verse that says this. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You know what I learned about God is that, yes, without holiness, I can't see him, but without faith, I can't please him. So holiness might get you God's face, but only faith will get you his smile. Only holiness might get you God's face, but I don't want to see God's face without God's smile, and only faith gets you God's smile, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. The angel says this to him. He says, he, initially, he says, don't fear because your prayer has been heard and you're going to have a baby. That tells me this, that even though there haven't been miracles in 800 years, this guy somewhere along the way had enough faith to pray audacious prayers that at some point in his life, he had so much faith that he had had the audacity to ask God to give him a miracle. But at some point, he decided as he got older and older to stop praying those prayers that it was too late. So God is saying this, oh, wait, so all that stuff you were professing back then, that faith, you didn't really believe it fully with your heart. Otherwise, you wouldn't be so surprised now. You wouldn't have unbelief now because you said it, you believed it then, but I'm exposing to you that you actually have all this unbelief that's in your heart. That's why James 1 tells us this, that if you ask, you got to believe and not doubt, and that if you do doubt, you shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. It says that flat out. God would rather silence you in your unbelief than to let you speak words that kill your destiny. And you say, Katie, Ain't nobody got the power. I don't have the power to kill my destiny. That's in God's hands. Well, that's not what God says. In fact, it says this. It says in Proverbs 18, 21, the power of life and death are in your tongue. That the words you speak have the power of life and death. But Luke 6, 40 says, 45 says this, that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So here's what we see. The mouth is just a microphone. It has no sound of its own. Your mouth is a microphone of your heart, and it echoes the sound of your heart. So, so your words have the power to destroy or to kill, but they all begin with what's in your heart heart. And so out of the heart comes the mouth, and then out of the mouth is death or life. And so what God says is, uh-uh, Zechariah, I'm not going to let you kill this thing. I waited 400 years to do this, and I'm not going to let you destroy it. So I'm going to take away your microphone, and so you can get your heart to line up with what I say and to really believe. I'm going to need you just to zip it. I want to tell you today that God is absolutely concerned with the words that come out of your mouth. And I'm preaching to the choir because it's something I have to wrestle with all of the time. God is absolutely concerned. For nine months, God silenced Zechariah, and the only way that he could communicate was he had a writing tablet, okay? And I say tablet, I don't mean like an iPad. 
I mean, like probably a piece of stone and chalk or something like that. Um, so all he has is a tablet, right? And now every time he wants to say anything, you have to think things through so much when you're writing them. Um, when you're writing them, it's, you're not going to say something you have to take back because before you even get to them, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to, nope, nope, nope. You have to be intentional when you write. Well, so what God says is I'm going to silence your mouth until your heart catches up with what you believe. You won't just let things slip because now every time you write something on this tablet, you're going to remember why you have to write because your heart didn't believe me. And now everything you write, you're going to have to ask yourself before I write this, am I about to say what God says? And you have, you're going to have to align your heart and think about every word that comes out of your mouth and say, wait, am I agreeing with what God says? Imagine having a fight with your spouse and all you got is a writing tablet. You would have to apologize so much less. So many people are here like, I wish God would give the gift of nine months of silence to my spouse, and they only have a writing tablet. But I promise you it was probably not a fun time for her either. Nine months later, and the angel has said, you'll be silent until this happens, until the baby is born. Well, here comes the baby. And now, it's been eight days, he's still silent. But you said, the angel said, when this happens that I wouldn't be silent anymore. It's been eight days, and I want you to watch what happens. The baby is here, verse 57, 62. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son, and her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zachariah. This is so weird to me. The neighbors were going to name her baby, okay? Just in any way. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, Ain't nobody in your relatives named John. Like, in other words, that's not how we do it here. That is not our custom. We don't just name babies random names. They are family names. This is very important in our heritage. You don't just name him John. Nobody in your family is named John. You got to name him Zachariah or something like that, right? Now, first of all, why do these people think they have a right to name my baby? I don't know. It's weird to me, but it's there. So it happened, okay? So it says this. She says no, and they go, Wait, hold up. And it says this. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. See, now here comes the true test. Do you believe everything I said? Zechariah, do you believe just the part about you having a miracle baby? Or do you believe that this is not just any baby? Are you radically enough uh, inclined to believe so much so that you actually are willing to say with your mouth that this is not just an ordinary child, that that promised Messiah that we have um, been promised, that this is the guy that's going to prepare the way for the Lord? This is the real test. Do you believe every word? Have you got your heart to believe everything that God has promised? It made no sense naturally to name him John. It would be shocking. There was no relatives of that name. Are you willing to say what God says even when it makes you look crazy, even when it makes no sense? Are you willing to stand up and look stupid in order to say what God says? This is the test. Verse 63 through 66 says, he asked for a writing tablet. And here's the dramatic moment. They're waiting. What's he going to say? He's going to shut her down. It's going to be Zach Jr. I know it. He <laughs> asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. 
and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak praising God and all the, na- all the neighbors were filled with all and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it asking, what then is this baby going to be for the Lord's hand was with them? See, this meant everything to God, what he would name John. It meant everything to God, what he would call the gift of God. It meant everything to God because John the Baptist, even though, excuse me, Zechariah, even though he had been told that until this happens, your tongue will be loosed, his tongue was not loosed for eight days. And what loosed his tongue is the moment he began to say what God said. And he made up his mind, I'm not going to take the easy way and just go, oh yeah, we're going to, we'll call him Zechariah, but I'm going to have like a nickname for him. It's going to be John. It's just between us, you know, I'm going to just kind of call him John in my own time. No, 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 no. This is going to be his government name. Are you going to name him John? And when he does this, as soon as he agrees with what God says, he says, you can have your mouth back because now you got your heart back in the right place that your mouth won't kill the thing that I'm trying to give birth to in your life. After 400 years of silence, Zechariah hears a voice. And then after nine months of silence, we hear Zachariah's voice and now we hear what he says and I can just picture this Jamar you can play because now this moment this promised baby it's all just coming full circle it's been a crazy year for Zechariah this guy who's been faithful to God and and this has been a lot that's happened to him and he says his name is John and then he takes the baby in his arms and I can just picture him because I remember the day my miracle baby came out and they put her on my chest and I started to speak over her and tell her you have been born for such a time as this to bring light to the darkness that's what God has said about you you have a covenant with God I remember doing that so I can imagine Zachariah doing this. He takes the baby in his arms and he begins to open his mouth and tell him, this is what God says about you. This is what God says about who you'll be and what your future will be. I don't care if anybody else as you grow up says this is crazy. You need to know that God has said this about you. It says this, his father Zachariah filled with the Holy Spirit prophesied and said, and you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. He starts to speak to his son and use his mouth to declare, this is what God says about you. Look, you can't fault those people for, for not knowing that they, they weren't there when God spoke to you. Stop waiting for somebody else to call your baby what God has told you to call it. God gave you that revelation. Stop, stop waiting for some, someone else to say what God has said to you. You speak it. You don't let anybody name your baby. Don't let anybody name your marriage. Don't let anybody name your spouse. Don't let anybody name your circumstance. Don't let anybody name your future or your potential and tell you because you came from this place, you can only do this. Don't, you're not going to name my future. Only I have the power to name this life because God gave it to me. Everything God's given you, that's your baby. It's your job to name it. And the only thing you need to know is before I say something, what does God say? After 400 years of silence, 400 years of silence represents a season of waiting. 
where they just waited for the promise of God. They waited for a voice from God will speak. And many people in this room might understand what it's like to be in a season of waiting. And it took a long time. And God didn't always just give Zechariah what he pleased. But after 400 years, you need to know, after the waiting, after the silence, did come the voice. And then for, for, for our guy, Zechariah, after nine months, after the silence, did come his voice. But not only after his nine months of silence came his voice, but nine months of silence, after nine months of silence came the voice because Isaiah prophesied about John the Baptist. And you know what Isaiah, old boy from back in the day, called John? He said this, he is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. After the silence came the voice. So, watching two characters and trying to learn about the character of God. We learn this, what do we do between the silence and the voice? What do we do in the waiting that will please God? And we learn from what they did wrong and what they did right. I'll just give you three quick things to leave here with. Number one, stay on duty. Stay on duty. You do what you know and believe is right by God. No matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody does, no matter what the culture says, you continue. Stay in God's house. Stay in God's word. Stay amongst God's people. Stay serving. Stay living in, with conviction. Stay holy. Stay in faith. Number two, stay in faith. Stay on duty, but stay in faith. I'll give you this analogy that I just got in the other room by the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, if you like basketball at all, you know there's some people that have really good court vision. Really good court vision means even if you can't see them looking at you, they see you. And that's what stay in faith means this, that God has really good court vision. So even when it means like he's got his back to you and he's ignoring you, even when he's not looking at you, you better stay on duty. You better stay ready because he hit Zachariah with a no-look pass and he was not ready. And so he dropped the ball and turned it over. But I I want to tell you this when when God is on the court he's got great court vision and all your job is to do is to stay on duty to stay in faith to stay in a position of expectation keep your eye on the ball because even when you can't see him looking at you he's always watching you he can always see where you are and at the right time if you're ready he's got a pass that's just for you <laughs> stay on duty stay on faith and lastly get a tablet and I don't mean this. Get a system or something in your life that makes you start to think about the words that come out of your mouth. Don't, don't let your mouth become the microphone that becomes the weapon that kills the future God has for you. But get a tablet. Somehow, even if you have to close your mouth, Stop speaking anything without asking yourself, what does God say? Am I saying what God says? Have you been blessed by God's word today? Come on. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information on our church, please go to www.embassycity.com. We would love to hear from you. Our prayer is that you have been inspired and transformed. Have a wonderful day and come back again.